Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to the Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Today, we're going to talk about Lyme disease. What is it and how herbs can help? And I'm honored to have Jean Schneider with me today. Jean is a clinical herbalist and spirit healer. Her office is near the headwater springs of the Madison, Wisconsin chain of lakes in Token Creek. She spent many years helping to cultivate healing energy on this land. She teaches spirit healing classes, including a class on plant spirit medicine, and hosts a monthly spirit drum. More information about Jean and her business, Nativa Medica, can be found at her website at nativamedica.com. Jean, welcome to the Nature of Healing. Hi, Roseanne. Thanks for including me. You are somewhat of a local expert on Lyme disease, and you speak on this subject, especially now at this time of year in the spring, and it's to help people know not only what to look for to prevent Lyme disease, but also how to treat it if if they end up being diagnosed. So before we go into the specifics of all your knowledge, can you share a little bit about your personal history with Lyme and what led you to become an herbalist? Sure, yeah. Well, um, I became very sick with Lyme disease almost 10 years ago now. And I grew up in the woods in Wisconsin and had ticks on me all the time. We pulled ticks off as a family. It was just, we checked ourselves and never had a problem with Lyme disease, never had a problem getting sick from a tick bite. So I didn't have very good practices on, um, you know, making sure I wasn't get, getting bit by ticks because I had a comfort level with it. Um, so I was outside a lot uh, about 10 years ago, one year, and um, I did uh, take a couple ticks off of me that hadn't attached and didn't think anything of it. Um, and then over the winter, I got very sick and... Of course, in the winter, you're not thinking about Lyme disease. And uh, so I didn't know. It seemed like I had the flu. I was just so sick. I could barely get out of bed. Um, and, it, and it took a long time for me to figure out what was going on. It was eventually my chiropractor who looked at me and said, well, you've got Lyme disease. And it took me a while working through our medical system, um, insurance covered medical system and finding out that they were just making me sicker. And um, my tests kept coming back negative for Lyme, even though I felt like I had Lyme. And it took me about a year from my infection date to see a Lyme literate medical doctor who knew how to treat people with Lyme disease, who knew how to test for it properly. And then I started getting treatment for there. But it took a couple of years for me to really get better. And I kept getting tested at the doctor's office and they said, oh, you're getting so much better. Your tests are so much better. But I didn't feel better. Um, I was glad my tests were better, but I didn't feel better. And it wasn't until I started using um, herbs. I worked with a clinical herbalist and I started using herbs to help rebalance the body. And I started doing spirit work that I started really feeling better along with my tests getting better. So it really was a long process of about four years from my infection date um, to get better. Um, so that's why I became an herbalist and a spirit worker, because I see how much it helped me get better. And I'm seeing that with my clients, too, that both of those approaches are really helping people get better. 
that is a wonderful segue and story into all the information that you're going to be presenting now to help people identify if they have the same issue. And it is becoming more prevalent. It didn't used to be nobody ever heard of this until a certain date, probably around that time that you yourself was diagnosed. Because I don't remember growing up, we're about the same age, hearing about this, you know. Um, So let's just dive in with some information for everybody. What is Lyme disease? Yeah, so Lyme disease is um, an, a tick-borne infection that um, we think of as coming from ticks, but we'll talk about that more a little bit later about other places it comes from. Um, but it's really the epidemic of our time. The CDC is reporting 400,000 cases of Lyme disease every year that is well, in well excess of the 250,000 cases a year of breast cancer. And most of us can think in our lives of probably more than one person we know that has had breast cancer. Well, you know more than that many people who've had Lyme disease, but they might not have realized they had Lyme disease. Um, so, uh, fewer than half of people with Lyme disease ever recall a tick bite. They're not finding the tick bite. Fewer than half recall a rash. Um, Wisconsin is a Lyme endemic area, and about half of the ticks here, it's estimated, carry the Lyme spirochete. And unfortunately, about 40% of people end up with long-term health problems and short-term courses of antibiotics. Um, that's the one and two-day doxy and the two weeks of doxy generally are considered the short-term courses, end up in upwards of 40% relapse rate. So that means people get better for a period of time and then they get sick again. Um, I, there's some really great maps out there showing from the CDC where um, the reported cases are. And when you look at the map, Wisconsin is just covered with reported cases from southern all the way up to northern Wisconsin. And most of us know it's the deer tick that carries the Lyme spirochete, but all the ticks carry tick-borne infection. And there are a lot of other tick-borne infections besides just Lyme disease that can make us really sick. I've also heard that this can be spread through biting flies and fleas and other things now. Is that true? Yeah, that's a great question. So we know ticks, and other countries have done great research on this too. Mosquitoes should be able to be transmitting this. Anything that bites, like biting flies, like you mentioned, um, people don't often think of this, but this um, this is something that is in all of our bodily fluids when we have an infection. So this is a sexually transmitted disease. So if you have an active infection that you can pass this on to your partner. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something to be thinking about, um, especially people that know they have an infection. So the ticks are teeny tiny. Some of these uh, deer ticks, they're the size of a pencil point or of two lines on your fingerprint. That is tiny. <laughs> and that they're so tiny that even when you're looking at them, you can't see that it's a tick. It looks like a freckle. So this is really tough to be um, finding ticks on yourself. Um, And a lot of people don't really understand where deer ticks live because I hear people say, oh, they're in the woods on the trees. Well, not really. Uh, The ticks like moist environment where their prey live. And their main prey are actually mice, not deer. And what they do is they live in these moist areas, and when they're ready for a meal, they will climb up a blade of grass or another plant, and they hang out at the top of the plant, holding on with their back legs and their front legs, or just waving in the air, waiting for your pant leg to come by, or anything to pick it up. So when those blades of grass on the edge of the trail brush your pant leg, that's where the ticks are. Okay, can they still can they also be in tall grassy areas like fields? 
Yeah. So that's, again, that's more mm-hmm. blades of grass, more mm-hmm. plants that are just sticking up. So they'll live underneath in the moist area that's down by the uh, the roots and where the mice are living. That's where they'll live a lot of their life until they're ready for their next meal. If they don't find a mouse, they go up these blades of grass and just hang out. And the good thing to realize is that if it's above freezing, the ticks are moving. Mm-hmm. They pretty much, if it's below freezing, they kind of just freeze in place. And as soon as it warms up again, they're looking for another meal. I get people walking their dogs at the dog parks in the winter, and uh, they're telling me, oh my gosh, they, I got a tick uh, on my dog. I can't believe it. It's winter. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> if it's above freezing, they are definitely moving. So I mentioned mice. Um, there's a reason why mice are their main food source. Mice are really poor groomers. So they don't groom off the ticks like other animals do. So the tick will actually feed on them, eat a full meal, and drop off. And that's typical. So any areas that have a lot of mice are going to have high tick populations. Mm. So we definitely want to be thinking about uh, predators to mice and protecting predators to mice. Those are our coyote and the fox are the main ones and birds of prey. Okay. So... Shall we go into how we discover if we have a a Lyme infection? Yes. Um, So Lyme is one of the many things that you can get from a tick. Um, Doctors tend to look for a bullseye type rash. And the bullseye type rash can go from looking really like a bullseye to a really faint bullseye that you might not even identify as a bullseye. And less than 30% of reported cases have a bullseye rash. It's believed that most cases of Lyme disease are not reported. So that number I gave earlier about the 400,000 reported cases to the CDC, they're thinking it are a fraction of what's actually out there. Mm. There's not that many bullseye rashes, but if you have a bullseye rash, it really is a gift because the doctor should be able to treat you just on seeing that rash. There's nothing else that has that bullseye rash, which is great because you can go into almost any medical center and get some basic antibiotics with that. So the the bacteria that causes Lyme is called Borrelia burgdorferi, and there are many different species of Borrelia that can cause this infection, which it makes it even more complicated to diagnose. Um, The bacteria is actually a spirochete. It's a corkscrew-shaped bacteria that can drill into any tissue in the body, including the brain, where the immune system isn't active, and other places where the immune system has a harder time getting, like in organs and joints and connective tissues. And the spirochete actually eats connective tissue. So... uh, Other tick-borne infections, infections, I'm not going to go into these, but I'm just going to mention what they are. Um, Bartonella, Babesia, uh, Chlamydophilia, um, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. People don't realize that we have that here too. It's a pretty common co-infection that can come up for people. Anaplasmosis, Q fever, Mycoplasma. Powassan virus, that hit the news um, last year and the year before. There um, were several people that were diagnosed with that that actually died. And um, they were diagnosed by doctors on the East Coast who tend to be much better educated in tick-borne disease than our Midwestern doctors. Um, They have a lot of tick-borne disease out there. And for whatever reason, their doctors are... um, just better equipped to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So there's also a couple others, Ehrlichia, and some people have heard about the alpha-gal allergy. That's the red meat allergy that you'll have. Um, it's a infection that's carried by the Lone Star tick, and all of a sudden you'll start reacting to red meat and dairy like you're allergic to it. Wow. Is that related to any kind of leaky gut situation then, or is it specific to this 
It's actually a bacteria that, I believe it's a bacteria that comes from the Lone Star Tick. I know it comes from the Lone Star Tick, but what type of organism it is, I'm not absolutely sure on. But it is not, it is independent of the leaky gut, which you can also have. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and you have a delayed allergic response. So it's actually like three to eight hours later that you'll have an allergic reaction to what you ate, not immediately afterwards, which makes it even harder to figure out. But some people will ask me about that. They've heard about the red meat allergy from a tick bite. So yeah, so there's a lot for doctors to, um, to look for. Um, some signs you might have a Lyme infection. There's three different stages of infection. The first stage is generally in the first month. And it usually looks like flu-like symptoms, fever, headache, a stiff neck is um, really specific to Lyme disease that almost universally people have a stiff neck. Um, Muscle and joint pain, swollen lymph nodes, fatigue, or nothing, no symptoms at all, Mm. which is what I had because I got um, uh, my exposure in the fall and I didn't have any symptoms throughout the fall and early winter. It wasn't until January that I started having symptoms, which was about three months later. Hmm. So stage two is months one through four. And this can look like a lot of different things. There's a lot of different symptoms that can manifest. And you can have some or all of them. And they involve the skin, the joints, the nervous system, um, heart issues extreme fatigue, uh, rashes, migrating pain throughout the body, uh, weakness and and numbness in your arms and legs, twitching muscles, recurring headaches, uh, poor memory, a lot of memory and concentration issues, um, heart palpitations, panic attacks. So it's kind of a lot of different things that could be mistaken for something else. It's good to know. Yeah, and stage three is the late stage. So this is where I was at by the time that I was finally diagnosed a year later was the late stage Lyme. And that is a lot of swelling and pain in the joints. For some people, it tends to go more towards joints and other people, it tends to go more neurological. And you kind of usually tend to veer into having one category or another of symptoms. Um, but usually people are, have extreme fatigue, insomnia, more problems speaking and word retrieval issues, um, a lot more heart issues with palpitations and other more advanced um, heart issues, um, bladder problems, ear ringing. Um, again, the neck issues are persistent throughout all these stages. Fevers and sweats, especially night sweating a lot of GI problems, just a lot of body pain. And unfortunately, because all of these symptoms are really nonspecific, it ends up being difficult to diagnose based on symptoms alone. Lyme has a nickname. The nickname is the great imitator. Mm. And sometimes people, um, this sounds familiar to people because it is um, a familiar thing to another infectious disease that we don't really think about much anymore and that's syphilis and there is a commonality between Lyme and syphilis that they're both spirochete shaped bacteria which means they can get everywhere in the body so Lyme being the great imitator can look like a lot of different things it can look like rheumatoid arthritis that's what it looks like for me and I legitimately have rheumatoid arthritis The issue is that the doctors don't care why you got rheumatoid arthritis. They just want to treat your symptoms with drugs because that's what they're trained to do is treat your symptoms with drugs. Um, It can also look like MS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, One Lyme doctor who's treated thousands of people with chronic Lyme down south said every single patient he had tested who had ALS also had Lyme. Mm, that is making more sense, more and more sense today with all these new diseases and new diagnoses of diseases that didn't exist before. It's starting to connect. You can connect the dots now. Right. And ALS, um, 
you know, I know a lot of doctors are talking about it being related to infectious disease or having a link there. So this isn't saying that Lyme causes all ALS, but that we should be looking for infectious disease and Lyme disease and ALS, definitely. But this can also look like fibromyalgia, lupus, chronic fatigue, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, depression and bipolar. There's a whole category of psychiatric Lyme disease um, that a lot of psychiatrists are not um, versed in at all. So the testing, so the testing, testing of uh, Lyme disease is really unreliable. So it's not going to show up in the CDC Western blot for probably about six weeks after you're infected. So the doctor's supposed to go by symptoms and start treatment right away. Well, we went over the symptoms, like it could be a lot of different things that you're presenting with. So it's hard for the doctor to know just based on symptoms that they should be treating you for Lyme. And you kind of have to go on, have you had exposure to ticks recently? One of the other tests they'll order is the ELISA test, which has 50% false negatives. The Western blot that I mentioned, that has about 70% false negative results. And almost every lab in the U.S. tests for only one species of Borrelia. That's the CDC test. Now, there's other places that will test for the full CDC uh, Western, not the CDC Western blot, that do the full test that's not the CDC test and will include more species of Borrelia and have other ways to test for the spirochete, which is great because the spirochete doesn't live in the blood. So this is one of the issues on testing the blood for an infection that isn't in the blood is that when the spirochetes come into the body, they tend to hunker down somewhere and kind of start learning your body. And the only time they're in your blood or the main time they're in your blood is when they're moving around. That is definitely the mentality of a parasite. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's just see how things are here and we'll learn your body first, then we'll deploy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, and that just makes it even more difficult because we're really used to blood tests where this one... Um, there's urine tests and other type of fluid testing that you can do and other types of tests looking for different things than what the blood tests is testing for. And these are things that a Lyme literate medical doctor will know and will have access to. And this is part of the issue going into our insurance covered doctors is that they have a very limited amount of tests that are available to them to order. And they have one or two or three labs that they work with, and that's it. So if those labs don't do the test or the, the test that you would like to have is not on their list, it's not even possible for them to order it for you. So it's not that they don't want to help you, it's that their hands are tied by the system that they're working in. And unfortunately, the system they're working in is the system that we have our insurance through. So a lot of times you have to go outside your insurance to find a Lyme literate medical doctor, at least here in the Midwest. I'm told the situation out East is quite different than it is here in the Midwest. So that's just something to think about. Um, but the good thing is if you do find a tick and you pull a tick off of you, that you can send the tick in to get tested and the testing of the tick is actually very accurate. There's a lab out in Pennsylvania that received a bunch of funding from Pennsylvania government to offer free testing for residents of Pennsylvania for Lyme disease, which is awesome. I wish we had that here in Wisconsin. But what this lab does do is they offer it to people who don't live in Pennsylvania, and you can just pay for it. So they offer Lyme testing, and they offer co-infection testing too. So they're actually testing for some of these things, or all of these things possibly, that I listed earlier, um, they could test for. And the total cost of everything that they'll test for for tick-borne infections was $175, which is really inexpensive. That's excellent. That's taking power back into your own hands. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a link on my Facebook page to the article that talks about this lab. And there's a link to the lab right on the article too. 
um, and my Facebook page is just Nativa Medica. Okay, we'll get a link to the listeners too in the show notes for that. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So we talked about testing and how like testing is like not great. Um, it actually is a little worse than what we thought. So, um, so Lyme is the most common vector-borne disease, tick, tick-borne disease um, in the U.S., but the CDC is promoting unreliable and flawed testing methods. So this is, um, and I should, I'll send you the link to this too, Roseanne. It's an article that was written about Congress reprimanding the CDC for how the CDC has been treating this disease. So Lyme disease is receiving $63 per reported case every year. West Nile virus is receiving almost $20,000 per case per year. Congress has been on the CDC's case and the National Institute of Health for years about how badly they're handling Lyme disease. Um, and this article just goes through Congress reprimanding them, saying that they're really um, taking a narrow view of what Lyme disease is and that they need to adopt uh, a wider view that, um, and that they need to come to terms with. There's a bunch of conflicts of interest related to testing and vaccines. And they call them out on several CDC employees have patents on some of the tests that is the, in the CDC Western blot that all of the labs in America are testing for. And these CDC employees research, receive royalties every time a test is performed. So the more accurate tests that are not the CDC Western blot, the CDC employees don't make money. Mm-hmm. I've heard that story before. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really disheartening when... I mean, these are, this is not just people's health on the line. It's their lives on the line. People are dying from this. Absolutely. And we have a lot of greed behind it. It's not just with the CDC. It's with, um, you know, insurance companies and pharmaceuticals that want to make vaccines that don't exist right now. So they're trying to not let people know this is an epidemic until they have the cure for it that they can sell us. Right. Which will always be a vaccine. <laughs> right. It's always a vaccine. Well, and they did have a vaccine out. Oh, it was more than 10 years ago now, I think. Um, and the vaccine was a huge disaster. It made a lot of people sick. It was actually one of the reasons why one of the uh, surface proteins for the spirochete it's really specific to an outer surface protein on the spirochete was taken out of the CDC Western blot. I'm told is because of this vaccine that gave a bunch of people Lyme disease. They wanted to take the surface protein out of the test because all these people will now test positive for it for the rest of their lives. It's sounding like a cover up. I don't know. I don't like to get into the conspiracy theory. Right. There's a lot of online. <laughs> no, we don't have to do that. I mean, there are proven ways to use ticks through homeopathy. Homeopathy is completely safe. They take the tick, they crush it up, they make a homeopathic remedy, which basically is a thousandth to a millionth dilution of that original material to get a very specific remedy. You know, homeopathy is not being used at all, yet it could be, and it is being used by people who, who seek out homeopathy. So, you know, the beauty of herbalism and what you're doing and what homeopathy can do, you can bypass the corrupt system of the CDC in order to actually get healing. Yeah, and really, um, the testing is great if you can get it but not always necessary, right? You can start treating on symptoms. You can start treating on, um, you know, what you believe the case to be if you're doing something like homeopathy or herbs because they're not going to hurt you if you, you know, if you try it out and you're working with someone who knows what they're doing. Um, it's not like taking a bunch of antibiotics for something you don't have, right? That wouldn't be a good thing either. 
Right. Although I know a lot of herbalists and I've read some of Margie Flint's work and some of Stephen Buner's work where they talk about, you know, they still recommend in the early stages to get the the antibiotic if you have a diagnosis, that that is a typical standard treatment. But, you know, if you miss that opportunity, then there are ways herbally, homeopathically to treat this and not have, you know, not suffer. And I agree with that, um, especially in acute Lyme, the best thing that you can do is get the antibiotics. Um, uh, the International um, Lyme and Associated Diseases Society, they recommend six to eight weeks of antibiotic treatment. Um, and if I could go back in time to, you know, when I was sick, I would totally take the antibiotics. I'd take some herbs with it but I would totally take the antibiotics and the antibiotics work for 70% of people. So you definitely want to take that course of antibiotics to see if it's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. There are 20 to 30% of people that don't respond to antibiotics and have to use alternative treatments to get better. So it's good to have those available, especially for people like that, that aren't going to get any improvement or don't from um, just doing the antibiotics alone. And it's good to remember that the spirochetes double every six to eight weeks in your body. So your infection's doubling. So time is definitely your enemy here. I mean, you need to get something on board as soon as possible. If you can't get your doctor to give you the antibiotics, go to a homeopath, go to an herbalist, go to someone who knows um, Lyme disease and start taking some of those things and hopefully still work on your doctor and trying to get those antibiotics too. That is great. And great information, great advice. What do we do now that we, what, what do we do to prevent this from happening? Do you have any herbal recommendations? We can start going into the herbs themselves and how to either treat an infection or prevent an infection, wherever you want to start. Sure. Yeah. So we talked about um, the pharmaceutical and doxycycline is usually what you're going to get. And doxycycline, I do want to cover, they, doxycycline will kill the active forms of the spirochete, which is great. And what, what that does is it makes you feel better right away because the active forms are the ones that are doing the damage and making you feel bad. But what the doxy also does is the inactive forms where it's a cystic form, a round body form, where they look inactive is the doxycycline they're finding uh, in studies actually stimulate this form to reproduce. It's making one aspect of this better and one aspect worse. But if you can combine herbs with the doxy, the doxy will kill, still kill the active forms and the herb can help carry the doxycycline into areas in the body that it doesn't normally get. So when you get an herb that crosses the brain-blood barrier, it can start carrying the doxycycline into the brain also. And then the herbs will go at the cystic forms and these round body forms that are replicating. So the two together work great. Um, and the drugs um, are not effective against the spirochetes that are in biofilms either. So that's good to note because usually we have a lot of biofilms in our body where these things can hide. Mm -hmm. So my favorite herb that I recommend as a preventative and a treatment is Japanese knotweed. And most people know this as um, one of the plants that are, is on our DNR list of the most invasive plants in our state. And it's true. It's super invasive. It clogs up waterways. It spreads like crazy. Um, this plant has been known to bust through um, basement foundations. Uh, it crumbles anything in its path. It gets absolutely everywhere, which is also what it does in our bodies. It gets absolutely everywhere, which is one of the benefits of this plant in our bodies is getting to all these places the immune system doesn't go. So what's really interesting is that Japanese knotweed started appearing as an invasive species along with the spread of Lyme disease. So if we're looking to nature for how to make us better, that 
usually nature has provided something for us when we need it. We just have to start looking and asking, you know, why is this invasive plant here? Well, the invasive plant, this invasive plant is here to help us treat the epidemic of our time. Wow, that is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I absolutely love Japanese knotweed. I don't deny that it is invasive and that we don't need more of it. So we definitely want to make sure we're not spreading this plant when we're using it. It is an edible plant. You can eat it just like asparagus. It's coming up right now. It's May, almost May. It'll start coming up if it's not already up, and it'll look like um, kind of like bamboo. It's hollow stemmed. It's kind of a red green with little white flecks, and then the same joints that bamboo has on the stem. This has on the stem too. Um, you can cut this just like asparagus and cook it just like asparagus, and it has a flavor in between asparagus and rhubarb. It's absolutely delicious. Um, so you can totally get this as, as a food um, in the spring, or you can ha get uh, medicine. Um, and I uh, make it as a tincture, and that's the form that I recommend for people to take. Um, but what this plant does, I mentioned about herbs crossing the brain blood barrier. Not all herbs do that, but this herb does. So it's allowing this plant to get everywhere in the body, deep into the brain, into our organs, into our connective tissues, into those joints that hurt. Um, it's a really potent anti-inflammatory specifically for the brain, the nervous system, and the heart. And we talked about this um, idea of the, of the drug being taken deeper into the body when it's taken along with an herb like this. Oh, it's really good at um, modulating the immune system, which is great because the spirochete really does its best to break your immune system and eventually it will break your immune system. So this plant helps with that. Um, this plant doesn't, it does kill the spirochete. It's really mildly anti-spirochete. There are other plants that actually kill the spirochete better than this one does. But what this one does do is if you're taking this before you get a Lyme infection, it's going to keep that spirochete out of your brain. It's going to help keep that spirochete out of your joints and out of these areas that are really hard to get to. And if it can be kept out into the body where it's more accessible by the immune system, it sets your body up to be able to fight this infection off better on its own. Um, what else do I want to say about Japanese knotweed? I have a whole presentation that's an hour and a half on Japanese knotweed alone. Wow, I want to, I want to hear it. I want to hear it sometime. Like, I love this plant. It is an absolutely amazing plant. It breaks up biofilms in the body. We talked about spirochetes and other um, infections hiding in biofilms. But what this does is it really gently and slowly breaks up those biofilms. And that becomes really important, especially if you've been chronically ill and are finding out this might be Lyme disease or other tick-borne infection. If you break up those biofilms too quickly and your body can't handle the infection that's coming out, you can be, become very sick. You could possibly die from that depending on how much infection load you have in your body. And there isn't really a great way for us to know that in advance. You want to take biofilm busters that are like this plant, that are really gentle and slow. And you can always control that with dose on this too. Um, there's a couple precautions on this one. It is a blood thinner, so you shouldn't be taking this with blood thinning medications. Um, it could possibly interact with central nervous system depressant drugs just because it does the same thing as those drugs do. Not to say that you definitely couldn't take this plant. You just want to be um, under the care of someone who understands the plant and the drug. So if you have somebody who has co-infections, has been chronically ill with, with the co-infections, but maybe doesn't um, present with symptoms of Lyme, or maybe there had been Lyme, but that is now morphed into these other chronic issues. How do you treat those co-infections? Do you treat them separate from Lyme or do you treat them all together? Well, 
some of the herbs can be used for both, but there's so many co-infections that you could have that the testing becomes really important so you know what you're dealing with. If there's any way you can know what you're dealing with, and that's going to a doctor who can help do this testing. And that's why I recommend that people try to see a Lyme literate medical doctor if they can afford to, just to get the testing, to get really good testing. Because if someone comes to me and they say, I have these four infections, well, I know what to do for them because I know what herbs kill those infections um, or those viruses or those you know, fungal issues. It's really easy to pick things out when you know what's there, but when you don't, you're kind of guessing. And, um, you know, doing some muscle testing might help. Um, there is some um, electrodermal scanning. People that have been specifically trained on how to do that within infectious disease, and that generally tends to be all they do. So it'll be electrodermal scanner. It'd be usually an ND who is doing that, but all they're doing is infectious disease because it's really complicated and it's hard to be really good at it unless you're doing it all the time. So there are a few people like that. And that ends up, I think, costing way less than doing a lot of the bodily fluid tests and sending those off. Um, because you can do this test, you know, every month or every two months for, you know, $200, $250, where that might be the cost of one of those um, bodily fluid tests that you send off to a lab. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that we've like kind of scared everybody about being sick and, <laughs> and all this, I always like to mention like how to prevent. And we talked about a little bit with Japanese knotweed in that being an herb that you could take as a preventative if it's appropriate for you. But the best thing you can do is really take care of yourself. And that's one thing that I thought I ate pretty healthy, healthy and I was taking pretty good care of myself. But looking back, I ate a lot of gluten at every meal. I didn't feel like I was until I had to go gluten-free. And that was one of the things that was, um, you know, stressing my body out and taxing my body at the time I was um, exposed to Lyme disease that made it possible for me not to fight off that infection on my own. Um, So, you know, really getting to the bottom of if you have any food allergies, I didn't think I did. I, I felt pretty good to tell you the truth, but I definitely had leaky gut issues and apparently a, a gluten sensitivity. And it just made me really susceptible to getting an infection. And if you already have um, any sort of chronic health imbalance, um, especially in autoimmune disease, you are going to be at really high risk for contracting this. Um, And you don't need another problem to deal with if you're already dealing with all of those things. So um, trying to figure out what being healthy looks like for you. And the other thing is yeast infections. Um, Blood and tissue yeast infections are actually more common than people think. And yeast are food for infections. So if you have a tick that's bitten you and given you a bunch of um, infectious disease, and that infectious disease is in your blood system now, and it runs across some yeast, perfect. It just had food, like fed to it. Um, So it's good to know if you're one of those people that has um, chronic issues with yeast and to start taking care of that. And it's also good to know that um, if you genetically are going to have a problem fighting off a Lyme infection, one in five people have genes that make it very difficult to fight off a Lyme infection. I got tested for that. I'm one in, I'm one of those one in five. So I had that um, going against me along with the gluten issues and probably some leaky gut issues when I got bit by the tick too. So um, just something to think about. I don't know if it's worth getting tested or not, but realizing that you might be in that group of people too. Great advice. It always pays to be healthy and prevent so you don't have to deal with the consequences after the fact right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, and looking at even though you might feel pretty good, these little niggling things that you have coming up are really just kind of, you know, you getting a gentle knock on the door like, hey, there's this thing that isn't quite right. And if you can start addressing it when it's 
when it's a, you know, a more minor imbalance, it can keep you from getting really sick from something like this. So absolutely. (laughs) Um, so I now have a tick protocol, right? So I'm super paranoid about getting bit again because I don't want to have Lyme disease again. It took me four years to get better from having a Lyme infection. So I'm really paranoid when I go outside now. So I do all the tick things. I wear the long pants. I tuck my pants into my socks. You know, wear good shoes, no sandals. I tuck my shirt into my pants. Um, so having all those tucked in clothes keeps any ticks that might get on to you on your clothing and not on your skin. And then I spray down my whole body, all my clothes with um, a really wonderful product called Wonder Side. So it was um, developed by a couple of moms who wanted something really natural that would keep the ticks off their kids and their dogs. So it's safe to use for pets and for kids and adults. So I'll spray myself down with this. It smells like cedar. So um, it smells kind of good. I like the way it smells. And it's really good for mosquitoes. And um, it keeps spiders away from things too when you spray it on things. So it's a really great product. I spray my whole body down with that. Um, And I'm careful about uh, some of the things that I do outside so I can lessen my exposure to ticks that way too. Um, I don't do pre-treated clothing, but I know some people really like the pre-treated clo- clothing. Um, it's pre-treated with permethrin. There is a natural form of permethrin and a chemical form. Um, from what I understand, the natural form isn't used very much anymore. It's mostly the chemical form. So the pre-treated clothing is probably going to be the chemical. Um, It's good for 70 washes. Uh, I found out about this, um, the pre-treated clothing, when I did a talk for Dane County, and a lot of the people that were naturalists and work outside were telling me about the pre-treated clothing and how well it works. When they wear it, they're not getting the ticks on them. Of course, you're probably getting a chemical exposure from that too, so you kind of have to weigh your options on what you decide to do, but do not get the spray. The permethrin spray that's out there, they show people spraying their clothes with this stuff and they've already proven that this is carcinogenic. So you don't want to be like spraying a carcinogenic substance in the air and being exposed to that. So don't do that. (laughs) Buy buy the clothes if you have to have the pre-treated thing. I don't do it because I'm chemically sensitive I don't want to be sweating in something that was dipped in a chemical. So I use the wonder side and the wonder side is available. Um, a lot of pet stores actually carry it. And I know it's more widely available now at some of the big box stores that a lot of people will, will, um, will shop at. But some of the main things to remember when you're out are where we talked about those ticks living in that moist um, ground area. And a lot of people will put a blanket down or set their bag down on the ground in some of these moist areas and then, you know, lay down or do any of those things. And that's just like pretty much laying down where all the ticks live. So I hate to have to be the bearer of bad news, but I bring a chair with you (laughs) and not sit on the ground if you can help it. Um, but that's something that a lot of people end up doing that um, ends up getting a lot of ticks on them. So when I get home from being outside, I take all my clothes off as soon as I get in the front door. I walk them to the washing machine. I put them in the washing machine on a hot wash, hot dry, and then in the dryer on a hot dry. I go to the shower and I take a shower right away. And I scrub in all the nooks and crannies on your body because the ticks like the warm, moist places like we talked about. And these are the armpits, belly buttons, groin, these areas that are really difficult to check for ticks in the first place. Um, Of course, if you find a tick, you know, removing it right away is good. But just scrubbing will do a lot because if the tick's walking on you, it'll just get washed away 
or maybe it just started to attach um, and you're washing that area will get it to fall off right away. So you definitely want um, to do the washing. Um, and then I had another person who gave this really great tip to me about dogs because dogs apparently bring in a lot of ticks. I don't have a dog, but I hear stories. And he takes a disposable lint roller to the dog park with him when he takes his dog there. And then before they get in the car, he rollers the dog with the lint roller and throws away the lint roller sheets in the trash at the dog park. And he said that's really helped reduce the amount of ticks that they've brought home just by doing that. And that would totally work for people too. I have lint rollered myself before um, when I've been super paranoid that I went somewhere that might have had a lot of ticks and then sprayed myself with Wonderside one more time before I get in the car. So there's some more extra things you can do if you want. I think there must be a network of ticks that announce when you're coming because they see you from many miles away. Jean's coming. Everybody leave. Leave the area. <laughs> well, and there is something to that. There is um, some speculation, and I'm not sure if anyone's researched this, about uh, people who already have a Lyme infection tend to get reinfected at much higher rates than people who haven't. And they are wondering, scientists are wondering, people are wondering if there is some way that the spirochete is sending out a signal for more diversity and to actually be drawing in ticks to you to bite you again so they can get more genetic diversity to survive in your body. Oh my, I had no idea. I was talking from the point of view of you just lint, lint rolled yourself and they don't want to have anything to do with you. <laughs> yeah, the lint rolling that works too in the wonder side and everything, but that's actually come up quite a bit in the Lyme community about just trading information on, um, especially people who are really getting better or have almost beat the Lyme infection. That tends to be when they get bit again. And people are wondering, you know, why is that? Um, is, is it possible that there's, you know, some sort of call being put out there that's being answered? Extra creepy to think about it like that. Wow. Well, it could be the frequency that your body has, this frequency that's in the blood that's different from before you were bitten. And even though you've, you've you know, taken care of the the actual bugs that frequency remains it's like a homeopathic remedy you can get rid of the original antigen but the frequency remains it's true and that's something that um spirit work can help clear is that that resonance or that frequency with the spirochete and you definitely want to resolve some of that because you don't want to be reinfected and that was something i had to clear for myself several times before that really stuck on not having that resonance with the spirochete. Well, this is such important information. Not the typical interview. We'll, we'll talk about this. Because <laughs> you do this spirit medicine. You do this energy work. Did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. Um, you know, and really the, it's a little more run of the mill way to think about it with um, severing that, um, resonance with something that you don't want but there's also something to be said about that even in relationships in our lives and different things that our um, bodies or etheric body is resonating with that we don't want to resonate with anymore um, and how do we change that and that's something where spirit work can come in and help <clears throat> change those um, those resonance um, Another thing I deal with quite a bit is trauma, um, ancestral healing, um, doing uh, work. Um, certain Some cultures throughout the world are more cursing cultures and um, have a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but people that do professional curse work. Um, so I do removal work. Uh, it tends to come in pockets of people from areas that have this, but then we also do things, um, you know, where we're 
not realizing we're cursing other people by how we're thinking and how we're acting towards someone that that could actually be manifesting into something for someone else that could be harmful. Um, so I help people with resolving some of that. Um, and a lot of times I'm trying to teach people how to do some of this work for themselves because it's something, he, this healing work, we can do a lot of it on our own. We just don't know how to do it. Yes, we're born to heal ourselves. I all I say the same thing. And you in your drumming workshops or your drumming um, sessions can help people journey to understand how to do that, right? Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, an acquired skill that if you're willing to, you know, spend a little time trying to learn, and it's super fun learning it, I think. I host uh, twice monthly now. I just switched to twice monthly for May, um, Spirit Drum where you don't have to have any experience doing any of this. If you already have a journeying practice, it's a great time to come and practice. Um, but I even had people who just come and listen to the drum and just relax and feel that they're getting healing from that, um, from just doing that and not learning the skill either. Nice. I think that's so important. We have to appreciate all of our aspects. We, we're not just physical beings. We're um, emotional. We're... Um, metaphysical and we're spiritual beings so we have to take all that into account when we're doing any healing work and the, the more we can do that the more we will heal ourselves i agree with that completely thank you so much for all of this wisdom that you're sharing yeah and you know there isn't one one formula on how to get better from this um yeah, I tell people, especially if you've, been, if you've been sick for a long time, like healing is going to be happening for you on many different fronts and finding out what works for you, who you want to work with, um, and putting together a team um, that's going to help you heal and get better because it isn't just going to be one thing. You know, just taking the herbs um, when you're really sick, it's not going to be enough. You need to do other things along with the herbs. Yeah. Well, Jean, I so appreciate that you have shared your wisdom and your knowledge here with us today. And this is a lot of information for people to absorb. I, th I know that they're going to go out and, and do some research. I think that's really important to learn a little bit more about it. But you've provided some great um, tips on how to protect yourself and prevent this from happening. So thank you again. Thank you so much for doing this and being here. Oh, thanks for, so much for including me. And I will send you um, some links you can include for the um, for your page and different places people can go for more information and support. Wonderful. And your website again is Nativa Medica N A T I V A M E D I C A dot com. Great. And I just wanted to also say that Jean has created these little tick kits that you can take with you whenever you go out. And it comes with, well, you tell them what it comes with. <laughs> so it comes with instructions on how to use it. It comes with a tick twister tool. There's two different tools, one for big ticks, one for little ticks. It helps you remove the tick by the mouth parts so you're not squeezing their body and squeezing their stomach contents into your bloodstream. And then there's a little bottle of andrographis tincture, um, which you can put on the open tick bite after the tick is removed. And then there's a, a little bit of plantain powder, which is a drawing agent that you can just wet just a little bit and put on that tick bite and hopefully draw out anything that's still at the tick bite site. Great. And I have read that androgravis is something you can take preventatively a few drops a day or I don't know how many, 15 drops a day, um, just as a preventative. It is a really good one for kill, killing spirochetes, but it has a lot of contraindications. So um, mm. that's definitely when you want to work with someone or get educated on, um, you know, which people shouldn't be taking that. Um, and there's also some skin reactions that can happen even when taking that one orally so just knowing what to look for for reactions okay perfect thank you jean everybody contact jean if you want more information and until next time healers lots of love 
visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org, where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.